Hello, my name is Eva, and today we are delving into the history of the witch trials in Iceland. Now, on some future podcast, I might delve even further into the fascinating history of Iceland. But on this podcast, we are going to climb aboard a time machine and land in the year 1684. As we disembark the time machine, we see people nervously miling around. It has been a full year since the last witch was burned at the stake. People are still jittery, for no one knows if there are more to come. As we ask the people what has happened, they tell us that 170 people were accused of witchcraft between 1625 and 1683, and 21 people were burned or otherwise put to death for practicing magic or using sorcery to cause sickness or death in livestock or people. Yes, but why did this happen? Who was shh? A farmer says to us. Let's not talk about it. It's the Danes doing it. And the Danes are a small but important number amongst the 50,000 inhabitants of Iceland in the 1680s. The peculiar thing about the witch trials in Iceland was that magic and sorcery had been a recognised and in many instances a valued part of Icelandic culture for thousands of years. So, then what was the historical change which gave rise to the witch trials in Iceland? As anyone who listens to this podcast knows by now, I really like the detailed answers to questions like that and love to explore the historical background of such events. So we shall start by examining a little bit of Icelandic history, as this really lays out the politics that drove the witch trials. Briefly going back in time, way back into the mists of legend, namely the Icelandic sagas, Iceland was named Iceland by the Norseman Floki, who in 870 arrived on the shores of the then still mythological island in the Atlantic. At one point in the deep of winter, Floki climbed the Nonfell mountain on the west coast of Iceland, and from there he spotted a fjord full of drift ice. This sight, as beautiful as it was wintry, caused him to call the whole land Iceland. A few years later, another Norseman, Ingor Arnorsson, arrived in Iceland, and he is credited with being the first permanent Nordic settler in Iceland. According to the Icelandic sagas, prior to the arrival of the Norsemen in Iceland, there existed small communities of Irish monks living as hermits on the east and south coast of Iceland but they gradually returned to Ireland as the Norse settlements grew. I mention all this to highlight the fact that the Christian influence was, from the onset, a small one, while the Viking and Norse traditions were the defining hallmarks of the Icelandic people, right up until the year 1000, when conversion to Christianity became compulsory, as Norwegian Christian kings put increasing pressure on Iceland, taking as hostages chieftain sons and barring Icelanders from trading unless they converted. Iceland was, 
in matters of foreign policy and trade deeply dependent on Norway, so they could do nothing but agree to conversion. Now, the Christianization of Iceland was, by and large, peaceful, and concessions were made in which Icelanders were permitted to continue the consumption of horse meat, which was otherwise outlawed in many other places in Christian Europe. They were allowed to continue the exposure of sickly infants, basically infanticide, and private worship of pagan gods would not be punished. Another tradition that was quietly ignored was the unique practice of priestly celibacy in Iceland, in which bishops were celibate by not actually marrying their mistresses. This practice mirrored an early practice in Celtic Catholicism in which priests had been allowed to marry. It was deeply frowned upon by the Vatican, but they chose their battles with care in this instance. And so it took the church around a century to cement its hold in Iceland. And by that time, infanticide and horsemeat had been banished. But crucially, the worship in private of pagan gods continued. And with this, the belief in and the well-regard of magic and sorcery remained in Iceland, not just as a memory of their ancestors, but as a living lens through which the world could be understood. When, in 1404 and again in 1494, the plague reached Iceland, magic spells were in use by highborn and commoners alike in attempts to ward off the calamity that killed off 25 to 50 percent of the population. Magic and magic users were also credited for saving Iceland in times of natural catastrophes. So in this context, the Catholic Church grew steadily in Iceland, but was at its roots and in its expression heavily influenced by the traditional beliefs with their seeds in Norse law. And though people were accused of not abiding by the Bible, only rarely did the Catholic Church actively hunt down and punish people for the crime of heresy. This was probably because the bishops were largely drawn from the local population rather than coming from the outside. By the 17th century, Iceland, which had always been financially and politically dependent on Norway, as I mentioned, was now part of the Oldenburg monarchy, a realm consisting of Norway, Greenland, the Faroe Islands, Iceland and some German possessions, but above all stood Denmark as the ruling country in the realm. Mm. This meant that while the cultural ties to Norway were still strong, the financial influence and whatever political pressure might be brought to bear on life in Iceland now came from Denmark, a country which had been part of the Viking world but Danish history had diverged significantly from that of Norway and Iceland since the High Middle Ages, that is, since around 1100. In 1536, the Danish king, Christian III, established the Danish National Church, and through it, 
Denmark became a Lutheran nation. The king now pushed for other kingdoms in his realm to convert to the Lutheran faith, that is to say, to become Protestant. This was slow doing, and the most important episcopal see in Iceland, called Skalholt, turned Lutheran in 1541 only because a new bishop was installed. Yet there was sizable resistance to this, as some feared the influence of the Danes through these changes, not least because Denmark sent out their own theologians to educate the Icelanders. Several executed bishops later, Iceland had become Protestant, and with this conversion followed the concerns of the Protestant movement and the cultural and religious evolution in the perception of witchcraft, magic, and sorcery. Till this point, Iceland's bishops followed the dictates of the Roman Catholic Church, more or less, in which women reported as witches were questioned, but if actually charged, they were charged with the crime of heresy if their beliefs were found to be heretical. Heresy is the crime of repeatedly denouncing or refuting the doctrines of the Catholic faith. The astute listener will have noticed that I used the term women reported as witches, for in the early and high Middle Ages, while common folk believed in the existence of witches, such belief was forbidden by the church. Think about it. To acknowledge that a person, a woman no less, could with their body and mind wield such powers that the church taught was only vested in God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit was a very dangerous thing. Now, this was usually explained by saying witches were deriving their powers from the devil in order to do harm to others. But this was not a general distinction in Iceland, where Norse tradition held that witchcraft and magic was not always harmful and was not derived from the devil. Witches in Iceland who were seen as evil were perceived as being malicious beings in their own right, rather than being a servant of the devil. The devil then played no particular role in the cultural traditions of Iceland. Magic in Iceland fell into two categories, good or bad magic, i.e. magic meant to harm or to help and heal, as it was practiced by wise women or wise men, as they were called. While this view of magic users was prevalent in Iceland, Perspectives on witches were changing in the early modern period in other parts of Europe in which witches were increasingly condemned as being a threat to Christianity itself and being in league with the devil. One of the greatest influences on the changing views on witches was the book Malleus Maleficarium, written by the German churchman Heinrich Kramer, published in 1486. In this book, Karma argues for witchcraft to be seen not only as heresy, but as the primary form of heresy. And he lays out the characteristics of witches, who in his book are predominantly women, and he writes about how to spot one physically and why and how they harm others. 
This book went through several editions even in its early years and was read as true evidence of the existence of witchcraft. It had a huge influence on the church, which a mere 30 years later radically changed its position to accept the belief in witchcraft as part of the Protestant doctrine. This book also influenced the policy of kings, including the advisors of Christian III of Denmark, who in 1564 sent a commissioner to Iceland to order the bailiffs to report all instances of heresy and punish the accused, and thereby save Iceland from the shadowy claws of the devil. While it might have been difficult for the local clergy to find evidence of the work of the devil, as I mentioned earlier, the Christian devil played only a small role in Icelandic culture. The charges of witchcraft increased in number as the Danish authorities saw to it that old clergy were increasingly replaced by Danish-born or Danish-educated priests, who in turn had been influenced by German Lutheran thought on the devil, where the devil was an ever-present threat. The Danish clergy, who then came to Iceland in the 1570s and onwards, had read about and sometimes even been witnesses to the emerging witch trials in Germany, and they now set about rooting out old pagan beliefs. Though the clergy pushed for harsh sentences for the accused, it was not until the 1620s that a concerted effort to root out witchcraft began, and the first witches were put to death. The first well-known case to be heard by the Danish authorities in Iceland took place in 1625. A farmer, Jorn Rundvalsson, was accused of having conjuring a ghost, which in turn made a boy sick and killed several horses. The bailiff brought the charge that this could only have been done by a witch, and when Jorn's dwelling was ransacked, pieces of paper with runes were found, and these runes were often used in rune magic. Though he never actually confessed to having practiced bad magic, Jorn Rönvalsson was found guilty of heresy and burned at the stake in 1625. His case would be symptomatic for the trials to follow. The majority of people accused were condemned for causing harm or sickness rather than doing peculiar things with the devil. And of the 120 who were finally accused of witchcraft, only 10 were women. Next time, we shall discuss the possible reasons why witches in Iceland were predominantly men. And I shall tell the story of one of the most famous witch trials in Iceland, a trial that ended up blowing up in the face of the accuser. Until next time, I have been Eva, and thanks so much for listening.